0: Welcome everyone to another episode of the Disciple Making Podcast, where we're all about helping Christians to become disciple makers. I'm your host, Brad Mann. This week we pick up the fifth of our six foundations, establishing them both in our lives and in the lives of our disciples. The fifth letter of HS Power, the that acronym that's there to help you remember, it's the E, it's exalting the Father. And when we say exalting the Father, we really what we mean is worship. We mean worshiping God and giving him what he is due. So if you spend time in the life of Jesus, you don't have to spend long to see that Jesus embodied a posture of worship to the Father. But it's probably helpful to just be clear about what we mean when we use the word worship. Depending on where you are in your faith journey, that word might have different connotations for you. If you're a super new Christian, you've recently converted to faith, you'll probably equate worship with singing. Either singing corporately at church uh, with a group of people, maybe in your life group, or at home by yourself. You buy worship albums, or you download worship songs, stream them. Obviously, we don't download or buy anymore, right? But that's how we kind of think about worship in the beginning of our, our faith journey, and, and then we we progress a little bit along, uh, and we level up our our Christianese and our knowledge, and we're like, oh no, but worship is a lifestyle, and it is. But that's still pretty vague, and it's not particularly specific about what we mean by worship. And interestingly, as I tried to get a little bit more specific, it, it actually felt a little bit tricky, because there's so many scriptures that give us insight into what worship is and means and the aspects of worship. And, and the internet, of course, has so much to offer as well. Some of it helpful, not some of it not When you take a look at the Greek and Hebrew words that we translate into worship, both carry the root meaning of of bowing down, of prostrating oneself in order to pay homage to a king, in our case, a a heavenly king. But even in Jesus' time, Jesus himself did not demonstrate worship through bowing down and prostrating himself all the time. In fact, Jesus' teachings on worship were much broader than that, as we'll see in a little bit. So that leaves us with the question, what do we really mean by worship? What what is the essence of worship? So having explored this a little bit, let me throw my hat in the ring and give you what I think is the simplest way I can sum up what worship is. Worship is the giving back of glory to God. God, in and of himself, is the fullness of glory. There is no being or thing in all of existence that is more glorious than God. And worship is our acknowledgement of that glory and the actions of our lives that reflect that glory back to God. Psalm 29 verses 1 and 2 says this. It says, Ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory that is due his name. Worship the Lord. In the splendor of his holiness. Psalm 29 is a command to the heavenly host to worship God, to praise, to honor, and to give back to God the glory that is due his name. And it's summed up in that fourth line by the word worship. But to give God glory is not limited to the expression of our words, it's all of our lives and all of our actions that give glory back to God. That's the manifestation of worship. Additionally, worship is a response to revelation. It's the right reaction to the recognition of the truth about God. Worship comes from an understanding of the infinite worth and the majesty of God. In John chapter 4 verses 22 to 24, Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman and he tells her that the Jews worship what we know. And that the Father is then seeking worshipers who will worship him in spirit and in truth. Because as God progressively reveals himself to us, we see more and more of his glory and majesty. And that revelation of himself triggers our worship. So that revelation becomes the cause of our worship. There's obviously and definitely a bit more to worship. So that's what we're going to do for the rest of the podcast. We're going to take some time to look at some of the insights that Jesus gives us into his understanding of what worship is. We're going to look at some of the things that he taught and some of the things that he demonstrated about worship. All right, worship insights from Jesus. Insight number one, worship must issue from the heart. First thing we'll pick up is that Jesus taught that worship comes forth from the heart. There's this is a very interesting story in Matthew 15 where a bunch of Pharisees challenged Jesus about the behavior of his disciples. So let's pick up the story from verses 2 to 9 in Matthew 15. They say to him, the Pharisees said to him, Why do your disciples disobey our age-old traditions? For they ignore the tradition of the ceremonial hand-washing before they eat. Jesus replied, And why do you, by your traditions, violate the direct commands of God? For instance, God says, honor your father and mother, and anyone who speaks disrespectfully of their father and mother must be put to death. But you say it's all right for people to say to their parents, hey, look, sorry, I can't help you, for I vowed to give to God what I would have given to you. In this way, you say that they don't need to honor their parents, and so you cancel the word of God for the sake of your own tradition. You hypocrites, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you, for he wrote, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce, for they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Did you catch that? In the middle of responding to the Pharisees and their concern over hand-washing rituals, Jesus actually teaches about worship. In fact, he quotes from Isaiah to teach about worship. And he says that if you honor God with your words, but your heart is far from him, your worship is worthless. Actions that are devoid of the heart posture of devotion have zero value before God. Worship is a heart response, not a religious one. Acts of worship that are not paired with a heart of worship are a farce. They're a joke. They're valueless to God. In our contemporary culture, that means that when you sing those songs of worship, God isn't listening to the pitch of your voice. He's measuring the love in your heart. It means that God is far more concerned with your genuine desire to please him than how godly other people might think that you are. That's Jesus' insight number one. Worship is a heart activity. Second insight from Jesus into worship is that worship is the lived testimony of our lives. So worship is more than just words. When we give glory back to God, it's not just a proclamation, but it is the demonstration of our lives. Here are three scriptures where Jesus says this, I think, pretty clearly. First in Matthew chapter 5 from verse 16, Jesus is speaking about being the salt and the light of the earth. And he says this, he says, In the same way then, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is his kind of sub-conclusion to his teaching on being the salt and the light. He says, in the same way that your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. When Jesus says light here, he's speaking about our lives. Light is a metaphor for our lives. And the things that we do in our life should be able to be classified as good deeds. And these deeds should cause others to give glory back. To God. In other words, things that we say and do in our lives, the collection of all our little decisions and our actions, should display God to people around us. And it should cause them to praise and to honor Him as true God and true King. That's what should happen as a result of our lives. Jesus picks this idea up again in another story, this one in John chapter 15, where he teaches about the metaphor of a grapevine. And in verses 7 to 8, he says this, he says, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples, and this brings great glory to my Father. Here Jesus follows a slightly different tack, but the idea is the same. As we remain in him, in other words, as we trust in him, wait on him, rely on him, listen to him, God will work in us to produce the fruit that he desires. His will will be accomplished through our lives. And when his will gets done, God receives glory. Our lives become worship to him. Our lived obedience to what God desires is a means by which God receives glory. Third story. This one comes two chapters later as Jesus prays to the Father. Listen to this. John chapter 17 verses 1 to 4. After saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so he can give glory back to you. For you have given him authority over everyone, and he gives eternal life to each one you have given him. And this is the way to have eternal life, to know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. I brought glory to you here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. Jesus was able to summarize his life like that. When we live obediently before God, God receives glory. If we want to worship God, it's our lives that are the living testimony of our worship to God. That's Jesus' insight into worship number two. Third insight from Jesus into worship is this. Satan contests for our worship. Satan contests for our worship. This is, of course, most explicitly seen in Jesus' own temptation in Matthew chapter 4. In the third and final temptation, Satan shows Jesus all the kingdoms of the world and he says, All of this I will give you, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Against Jesus himself in this instance Satan was very explicit and he was very direct But Jesus warns us that this is not always going to be the case In fact two chapters later in the Sermon on the Mount Jesus warns those who are listening to beware the affections of their hearts He says there's an eternal conflict between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of darkness And that money is often a tool that is used by the enemy to enslave us as humanity which is why he says in verse 24 of Matthew chapter 6, he says, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other, but you cannot serve both God and money. Friends, the enemy desires our worship through whatever medium you are most vulnerable, whether it's wealth and money. Whether it's influence, it's power, approval, pleasure, appearance or anything else, none of us are immune to his schemes. And Jesus wants us to be aware of that and to guard our hearts, giving them in worship to the only one who is worthy. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. That's Jesus' insight into worship number three, Satan is fighting for your worship fourth insight from Jesus. We should boldly worship God when he works. One of the things that Jesus teaches and endorses is that when God acts, the right response from us is worship. Let me illustrate this with two stories. In Luke chapter 8, we read the story of a man who is plagued by demons at the garrisons. So after Jesus heals him, we read this in verses 38 to 39 of that story. The man who had been freed from the demons begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him home saying, no, go back to your family and tell them everything God has done for you. And so he went all through the town proclaiming the good things that Jesus had done for him. Don't you love that? No, don't come with me but actually rather go. Rather go and give glory to God. Go and tell those that you know what God has done for you. Here's the second story in Luke chapter 17. Jesus encounters 10 people suffering with leprosy and he sends them to present themselves to the priest and on the way they get healed. Let's pick up the story from verse 15. One of them, When he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. He fell on the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for what he had done. This man was a Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? Here Jesus specifically affirms the one guy that came back and publicly thanked him for what he had done. And Jesus explicitly describes this act as worship, the giving back of glory to God. What does it mean for us? For most of us, we live in a culture where it's often perceived as taboo to refer to God in normal conversations. But in these passages, Jesus is teaching us and he's showing us that there's a call to worship, that when God acts in our lives, he deserves to be given glory for what he's done. It's the right and appropriate response. Really, it's the only fitting response. Jesus' challenge to us, and it's not that we shy away from this, that we be ashamed of mentioning God in conversation, but that God has done something in your life. Give him glory for it. Tell people about it. Share about the goodness and the greatness of God. It's what he deserves, and it's what he desires. That's Jesus' insight into worship number four. Boldly give God glory for what he has done. Last one we're going to look at today. Last insight from Jesus. Insight number five. We can worship God even in our death. This final insight from Jesus is a bit of a morbid one, but it's nevertheless significant. We can worship God even in our death. In John 21 Verses 18-19, to 19, Jesus tells Peter how he's going to die. He says to him, Peter, I tell you the truth. When you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to him to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Peter is told he's going to be martyred. and That's not really a conversation with God that any of us look forward to having. But it does tell us something that goes beyond the simple fact of martyrdom. See, all of us are going to die. None of us have control over how that will happen. But we do have control over how we meet that end. And the way that we meet our end can give God glory. As Christians, we face death differently to everyone else. For the Christian death has really lost its sting. It's no longer the end, but it is a step on the journey. And so when we face our end, we should face it differently. The process may or may not be dreadful, and it really can be. But we face that end without fear, and that allows us to bring glory to God even in our deaths. We can go to that transition willingly, full of confidence in our eternal hope. And in so doing, we bring God glory. That's Jesus' insight number five. That God can be glorified even in how we die. So that brings us to the end of our episode for today. Today we've been establishing, speaking about that fifth foundation in our lives and the lives of those that we disciple that we would exalt the Father in how we live. And we've tried to clarify that. And we've seen how Jesus taught and spoke into worship. So next week, we're going to continue this conversation where we're going to talk more practically. I'm going to chat, be chatting to my friend Sheldon Kidwell from the Bay Church in Capricorn. And we're going to talk about how we grow in our worship for God, how we help our disciples to do that, how we create a culture of worship in our lives and other related ideas. And so as always, if you've enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing to the podcast or sharing this episode with a friend or someone you think will really enjoy it. So until next week, I pray God will fill you with His Spirit and help you to see and respond to the greatness of our King with deep joy and heartfelt worship. Ciao for now. Bye-bye.